Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technology. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Beekeljohn. And we're your hosts of the show. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Diana Hall, CEO and founder of Active Armor. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to share your story today. Uh, so let's kick things off. We would love to know more about the problem that Active Armor is solving. Sure. So, as any of you who have ever had a cast or a splint know, and that's um, almost all Americans, and in fact, millions of Americans right now are wearing a caster splint, you know that you can't practice basic hygiene, like sanitizing your hands or even washing your uh, hands or taking a shower to even have a snack or eat, especially during a global pandemic, but just in general. Your basic hygiene practices are limited. You can't swim. You can't do any of those things while you're immobilized. And that's true for millions of Americans. So that's what we're set about to change is to make a hygienic, breathable, washable, waterproof alternative to traditional cast and splints. Awesome. And uh, for those who can't see when we are also doing this in video, I recommend that anyone goes to the Active Armor website and actually visualize this product because it looks super cool. It's you know really memorable. Go and check it out. But yeah, Kyle, it's uh, super excited to delve a little bit deeper into this conversation, I'm sure, like our listeners. Oh, absolutely. No, and I think it's really neat. Um, I mean, there's no doubt, right? When you see this cast, you can, you know, totally get that sense of feeling like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe, you know, that it's taken so long to see, you know, innovation in that space and how, you know, far 3D printing has come. Uh, you think about these, these casts. I mean, how long does it typically take to 3D print that cast? This one is a three hour print right now, but we're continuously improving the speed and the delivery service of the product. So as the technology improves and costs go down and material options increase, um, our whole system is cross compatible with any 3D printing technology. So as the uh, technology improves, our products can be printed on any printer quickly. And we're hoping that, you know, the Star Trek next generation happens where you basically got a little microwave 3D printer there and you press boop, boop, and it pops out in like a minute, right? That would be fantastic. And that's the way it is going. And that's where it will be in the future. Yeah. And, and I guess, how does that compare though today to your standard cast and the timing associated with, you know, having one put on versus 3D printing it? Sure. Now, right now, what happens is you usually go to the emergency room or the urgent care when you get a fracture and you're going to get a temp splint or a trauma splint because you're going to have a lot of swelling. And then you're going to wear that for maybe the first week and then go see an orthopedic surgeon uh, who's then going to, you know, see if you need surgery and all that kind of stuff when that swelling goes down and then put you in a traditional cast. And then at, through the healing phases for every exam and x-ray, you're going to have a cast sawed off and reapplied, right? That's the normal process. A casting usually takes about 20 minutes. They're going to get out some water and some fiberglass and wrap it on your arm. And then, you know, um, it's going to dry. So that process usually takes about 20 minutes each time. And then the sawing and stuff like that. So with this, it's a little bit of a different flow. You're going to go into the emergency room or urgent care, just like normal, get your trauma splint. And then as soon as that edema goes down, you're going to do a one minute scan with a free iPhone app. 
get a 3D digital image of your limb. And then the device is going to print either on site in a couple of hours or that your doctor can just order it out. If he doesn't have a 3D printer there, he or she doesn't have one um, that they can print there, they can order it out and it'll come in four business days or less. Then you will get, so your cast will be bivalve, you where that trauma splint for a little bit longer, whether it's a couple of hours or a couple of days. That eliminates all future casting and splinting for you. So every time you would come back in and get it sawed off and reapplied, that's eliminated because these are adjustable and reusable. And then it converts also from a locked on cast to a removable splint. So all of that is eliminated in the future. So it's a different clinical flow process, but it does save both clinicians and patients time and money. Oh, that's fantastic. And and I know, Richard, something that, you know, this is like, everyone talks about reusable products and, you know, their impact on the environment. And I'm just yeah. curious, when you look at a traditional cast versus your product today, are there recyclable um, aspects, environmentally friendly aspects of your product? Yes, absolutely. Our materials are 100% ABS uh, recyclable. So you can just pop them in with your bottles. It's the same plastic that makes, uh, you know, uh, soda lids and things like that. So uh, just pop them in with your recyclables. Uh, they do recycle and, and you're eliminating all of that medical waste. Um, there's no inventory that they has to sit there, you know, and all of those casting materials and stuff, other than a spool of plastic, you use just what you need. There's no waste in that. That's the cool process about 3D printing. Um, and then it is recyclable at the end. So all that medical waste, every time you're sawing a cast off and reapplying it that has to break down in landfill is eliminated. This is super cool. And again, for those who can't visualize and see this in the video, Dan is wearing a forearm example, which is, you know, amazing to see. Just again, have to check out the website and learn more about this. But I'm wondering, as Kyle kind of touched on, you know, this is obviously very novel. This is game changing to what has been a really traditional space without much disruption. And so what are your thoughts in terms of that go to market strategy? How are you approaching this and convincing people to change that workflow? Yeah, and you're exactly right. It is a very risk averse and old school market. They've done the same with plaster and fiberglass for hundreds of years. Uh, it has not changed. And so it was so ripe for disruption, especially during when the pandemic hit. But before that, I mean, I started this company in 2014 and it was already ripe for disruption because um, I was running a mentoring program for children in poverty. I'm actually a chemical engineer. So when I was running this mentoring program and the kids would have domestic violence, substandard living conditions, and they would come in with these filthy casts that they couldn't even practice basic hygiene, like washing their hands to have a snack. And I thought, man, this is archaic. One little girl had bed bugs under hers. One little boy couldn't keep his dry outside the shower by himself in a bag. And uh, he was in first grade. He wore it wet and smelly for four weeks and ended up with permanent scarring on his arm. So I knew that there was a better alternative with technology to provide 3D printed casts that were custom fitted to the patient that allowed you to visually see, treat the skin. Um, and so that if there's, you know, infections, it's not that you don't know about it till it's all the way up their arm or in their hand, or you can treat them with topicals, or you can see if there's edema coming up and down so that you're avoiding a compartment syndrome, things like that. So this, um, and just being able to practice basic hygiene, like showering and sanitizing your hands is so important. Uh, that we just knew the market was ripe for disruption. And that's why we, we're working uh, to fervently to make sure that this can become the standard of care. And if I could jump in there real quick, Richard, uh, 
I just think that it's really interesting too, when you think about these children, especially, or just anyone in general who has a broken leg or arm or something, and people still want to be active. I mean, it's right there in your name, right? So um, children want to be able to go swimming, right? They can still have those fun. Their summer isn't over, I feel like, with active armor. Yep, that's true. And we're always getting, if if you haven't seen our social media, I mean, you should follow us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. And just look, I mean, and even TikTok, like we'll have patients that are constantly posing, you know, like, oh, look at me, I'm deep sea diving, I'm fishing, I'm, you know, swimming, I'm having the fun summer, thanks to Active Armor. Like every single day we get great patient testimonials and we don't even ask for them. I mean, they're just, they're just posting them because they're so proud of it and excited about um, it changing their summer. So uh, yeah, it's it sells itself. It really does. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I follow you closely on social media, and I think the images you put out every week of these children just with smiley faces who are wearing this 3D yeah. printed cast, it's really great to see the, you know, the experience they have wearing this and just how good it feels. And, you know, they're happier and just able to go and do the things they enjoy doing as kids. Yeah. And to be honest, that is what is what has kept me going as an entrepreneur. I mean, uh, since I started the company, like I said, way in 2014, it's been a long, tough road in medical device industry, as you can imagine, with regulatory requirements and insurance and, you know, getting investment and uh, bringing the technology to market and the sales process. It has been a challenge. The marketing has been the easiest part of it because it's so obvious and fun. But uh, as far as, um, you know, actually bringing the technology and getting any sort of traction in the market and things like that. It's expensive and it's long, especially if you're self-funded and you're, you know, an entrepreneur just starting out. So if it weren't for it being a mission and me getting to see the patients and people that I'm helping every single day, I'm sure I couldn't have gotten as far as I have uh, on this on this pathway to entrepreneurship, I would have picked something much easier, <laughs> but this one is such a game changer for people that it's just inspiring every single day. And Kyle, I know that, you know, Diana mentioned there that she's revenue generating, um, but they've done a big business pivot in terms of the business model. Yep. And I'm sure, you know, we could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, you, you were talking actually about what an application on your phone, Yes. You know, um, yeah. So tell us more about how the business, wh- where was the business, I get, guess, at today? And, and, and how is it? How is that business pivoting? Yeah. So we started out, you needed a $10,000 scanner on site to be able to get an image accurate enough for, you know, uh, fitting a cast so that it would immobilize you well. Right now we have a free iPhone app. Uh, that anybody can use on iPhone 10 or newer. You just download our app. You can scan any body part in full color. That gives doctors the ability to draw a washable marker right onto the patient exactly where they want the cast to be. The specific cut lines, uh, if they want a hole for a bony protrusion or a pin or incision or uh, bone stem, muscle stem, TENS units, biomonitors, any of those advanced technologies, if they want it to be thin, lightweight, breathable, go up the fingers, up the thumb, up the arm, uh, up the leg, uh, to where they want on the toes, all of that kind of stuff is customizable with that scan. Then the design process happens, which started out manually. Uh, we had CAD designers that were trained that were hand designing every single cast uh, specifically to that patient for that patient's needs. And then uh, 3D printing it here on site at uh, uh, 
register, FDA registered uh, medical device manufacturing site, which we now have outsourced and people are able to print at point of care and the design process is almost fully automated and will be automated here in the next couple of months so that you can do with the easy graphical user interface, any user, whether it's a casting tech or a, or a provider or whatever, can easily design their own cast that has been market tested for um, mechanical properties and all of those things and print right there on site in a couple of hours with a turnkey plug and play process. Or they can order from one of our 3D printing partners across the country. So um, we're making the business scalable and making it more user friendly, making it faster and making it cheaper. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I was going to ask, you know, does a hospital or a doctor's office need to have a 3D printer? But, um, you know, obviously, yeah, having the ability to just leverage, you know, one of your partners or suppliers. And when you think about where 3D printing is going across medical device, I mean, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they're already in these hospitals today, right? So yeah, well, um, over 400 yeah. hospitals and clinics across the country already have sim centers or innovation labs with 3D printers. So right. that's like you were asking about our market entry strategy. I mean, that's one of them. It's like if you already have the equipment, it's sitting there idle or you're using it for making uh, medical models or surgical guides, and then sometimes it's not being used. Uh, this is a billable product in orthopedics that you can now utilize your existing investment in equipment to make for patients and cover a whole new product line with a billable product with great margins. So if you have the equipment, great. And if you don't, the printers are totally affordable. They're like $7,000 and it's a it, it, it'll do anything 14 inches by 14 inches and you can do them in pieces as well. So you can see the long arm transitions down into a short arm cast. So sometimes in parts and pieces that connect together are even better for the patient and for the doctor with having uh, more ability to customize it. Uh, but also you can print larger products. I mean, we print, you know, full leg casts and torsos and, you know, hip spikes and long arms and all of those things. So you can use your existing equipment or you can get one of our printers. You can lease them for $200 a month and that pays for itself in one cast with the billable margins. So it's a really easy thing to implement whether you have it or not. Mm, interesting. What about the IP? You know, I feel like people can go out and buy a scanner and, and a yes. 3D printer. So is yes. the IP the software here? What What, what is that? Absolutely. It is the market tested design software that is our IP. So we have uh, both, we have a combination of patents and software uh, that gives us a, a very nice competitive advantage that we have done thousands, we have treated thousands of patients successfully with different designs, the whole gamut from fingers and thumbs to wrists to arms to feet, everything. And through those eight years of clinical trials and testing and patient healing outcomes and, and feedback from physicians and patients, that's where we have gotten to the point where we can do an automated system that's also customizable, right? So you can say, I want a hole here. I want to offset here. I want it this long, this short. I want it this thick. All of those things are customizable and yet consistently proven to provide the healing outcomes that are necessary and and best for the patient as well as their lifestyle freedoms. So we take all of that into, into consideration. And as we move forward with the software, more and more AI options are involved where 
if we have feed, when we get input from the different providers, all of that data gets stored. So we can say, okay, this is how many, this is how the top physicians in uh, the Olympic team doctors or the NFL team doctors or whatever are treating a boxer fracture, for example. You can see that data and it will, it can give you options and templates for you to see like, oh, maybe this would be a good treatment for my patient. You don't have to choose that. It's still customizable, but it does show you. And it, it also helps with uh, training with new ortho techs and maybe new staff because we do have a lot of staffing turnover in the casting area, right? So if they have, you know, kind of a standard of care coming in for designs and templates that work for their patients, they can take that information and help it be input into uh, training their staff and making sure that their quality of care is sustained through their staff turnover as well. Now, Diana, one of the things you mentioned there was the fact that you've been around for eight years. <laughs> and I know with all startup journeys, it's ups and downs, it's challenges. And so I wondered if you could reflect on some of the unique challenges you faced on bringing this product to market, because I think sometimes people think, hey, this is like this amazing product that just happened overnight. But clearly a yeah. lot goes in in terms of the journey. So yeah, what are some of the challenges you faced? Yes. So what kind of what I was mentioning before is with the medical device space, there is a lot involved. There's regulatory, there's insurance billing and coding, um, there's clinical flow processes, there's the infrastructure that's involved with getting new products into big hospital systems. Um, there is um, uh, the, like I was saying, like the um, insurance that we have to have as a medical device manufacturer and the oversight with the FDA and all of those things. So um, it is a long and a uh, somewhat painful process. And, but I would say that the biggest challenge, the, the product speaks for itself. It's awesome. Everybody gets it. It's the implementation of it on changing the culture that's been established for 200 years. There has never been a tech option in this space. It's always been, I have some material in my drawer and I grab it out and I wet it and I put it on the patient and they leave and then we saw it and then whatever. So that whole thing that has happened, it's more of a like, oh, wait a minute, we're going to use our iPhone, we're going to take a digital scan, we're going to have a 3D printer, and then we're going to make adjustments to a custom product. So that whole um, mass customization in the orthopedic casting space is brand new. So kind of getting um, the users to wrap their mind around this is an actual, this can become a standard of care in our practice, even though the flow is a little bit different. That has been part of the sales challenge that we've had and we continue to face. So that's why our target market entry point is those innovation centers that um, hospitals that already have innovation initiatives and 3D printing labs and stuff like that. They get it. They're moving toward that. They know that's going to be the future and they're the first to market. And that's why we target them first. And Kyle, one of the things I wanted to follow up with here is that, you know, fundraising is always a topical issue. And, and I think as a female founder, we always hear about how that is an underrepresented area and, you know, often overlooked. So. I wonder, Dana, how you find fundraising, particularly in this current climate. Yeah, it's been painful. <laughs> I got to tell you. Um, and yeah, you're right. Female entrepreneurs, especially in tech space, we get less than 3% of the investment. And uh, no matter how the innovation, I actually, and, and not all of them are like this, but I've actually pitched to an investor that told me if you had a male founder partner, I would invest. And I said, all right, well, Thank you very much. Bye. I mean, like, it's, it's so funny that they would even see that. So um, there is a little bit of that still, but we also do have a lot of uh, 
venture capital and angel investors that come in and they're specifically targeting minority and women-owned businesses, which is awesome. Um, a lot of times they're later stage investors. So I've raised uh, two million so far in grants and awards as well as uh, investors and investment. And I have to tell you that it's all been individual, high wealth individuals that have invested in the company and purchased stock, um, mostly doctors, mostly physicians who get it, who understand the the um, benefits of it and understand that it's going to be the future. And uh, they've just purchased stock in the company. So we haven't had an institutional investor yet. Uh, and we did go through the M2D2 accelerator program, which was awesome, but uh, it did not result in any institutional investment, which is fine. But we are in a position where we're ready to have a strategic partner. We're ready for scaling. We're ready for um, that kind of a play, even though we are early stage still, not so much with the product, but with the new point of care manufacturing system and the, us becoming a software company instead of a manufacturer, right? So we're still early stage in proving revenues and scalability on that. And that's that's why some some of those venture capitalists, they're a little risk averse in that, you know, kind of seed round area. Even though we've been around for eight years, this is where we're actually scalable. Um, and I got to tell you that, you know, COVID and everything knocked us back a couple of years. Um, and that was just because we had 12 clinics slated to open that didn't open as soon as the pandemic hit because uh, doctors were not doing elective surgeries anymore. They weren't letting vendors in, you know, all that stuff. So that did kick us back. And then with the economy now, you know how it is, but we will get through. And I keep telling people, I'm like, I keep pulling back and running it as a small business when I have to, and then trying to run it as a big business startup again when I can't. So, yeah. Well, people are always going to be breaking bones no matter what happens in this world and the economy, right? There's always that need in this area. So, you know, it's just interesting. And when you, you know, you, I'm curious too about now this transition to being focused more on a software company. What does that regular regulatory kind of pathway look like? And yeah. you know, is there a standard reimbursement pathway um, that you're targeting right now? Oh, yeah. So we've been reimbursed no problem since we started because we are a class one uh, exempt splint. We're the same category as Exos. Um, and so DJO, I think, is now a novice. Um, they have a, a, a splint, basically, that's heat moldable that they're using for fracture care. And we're in the same category. So they had already you know, figured out that pathway. We're already registered. That was no problem. It's a register and listing um, deal. And all of our products are ISO certified uh, for biocompatibility uh, and manufactured in a way that they're certified even post-processing. So we have all that stuff in place. And the cool way that I got here was uh, when I started asking how I do this with the FDA, they hadn't yet developed the test protocols for 3D printed wearables, and they were still working on that. So I actually got to go out to the University of Maryland's Robert Fischel Medical Device Institute and work directly with one of their top consultants uh, in testing 3D printed uh, medical devices, uh, Dr. Lex Schultheis, who had uh, broken both of his wrists at the same time, bilateral, and couldn't do anything with a cast. So he really got it and understood and wanted to help. So fun. Um, I saw the Mars rover. Um, I got to play with all of their cool equipment. It was really, really fun. And I actually published research abstracts in collaboration with the FDA and the Medical Device Institute there at the uh, at University of Maryland on 
what you test for in 3D printed wearables, uh, like microporosity, biocompatibility, et cetera. So uh, it was really cool getting into that whole thing and then being um, having it be immediately reimbursed using existing custom splinting codes. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel on that. So that was all established. So we've been covered by insurance, including Medicaid, Medicare, TRICARE, all of that, um, and private insurance, all the way from the very beginning. That helped dramatically if you don't have to reinvent the wheel there. Um, and then the regulatory process is so cool. And when we moved to software, the FDA is still working out, like, how do we regulate design services for uh, additive manufactured custom products, right? Because you have liability on the side of who's prescribing and doing the uh, ordering what kind of cast they want, what design they want, which is the doctor uh, and doing the scan and all that to the design services portion to who's fabricating the device. So all of our third-party manufacturers are registered with the FDA as medical device manufacturers and they go through our quality control standards. So if you order one shipped to you, it's coming uh, as a class one device. Uh, and if you print on site, providers are exempt from being having to register with the FDA. So they can print right there on site and do their own quality control and all that. But we give them our processes that we can guarantee are of this quality and of the standards that are necessary to be sold as class one devices. Sure. And, and what does that, how, I guess, user-friendly too, is that process for a hospital? You know, what kind of learning curves are there? So it's, um, I went out there and I just set up Mayo Clinic Sports Medicine Department in Rochester, Minnesota. And also, um, you know, St. Luke's Hospital is doing it. We have like hospital networks that are doing it. We're doing a, a trial, patient trial with Boston Children's here coming up uh, in the next month or two. So uh, it's easy to implement. It's just a different process. So we're taking our 3D printer that is turnkey plug and play. If they don't already have one, if they already have a 3D printing lab, they know how to do printing and finishing. It's easy. And we just teach them, okay, here's how you do our scan process and uh, the ordering. That's it. It's easy. And if they use our turnkey package, it's usually like, you know, we show somebody how to set up the printer, load the filament, press start. We show them how to do the scan with the iPhone and order. That's it. I mean, it's not rocket science. Anyone can do it. Uh, this, mostly it's MAs and casting techs, whoever's doing the casting that does it, but also PT, hand therapists, sports med. We just set up uh, the Miami Dolphins with their own printer. So their athletic trainers are doing it there. Wow. This is, that awesome. is, this is so unreal. Cool. Yeah, really, Richard. I mean, just incredible. I mean, it, it makes the, the perfect transition to start thinking and talking a little bit more about these success stories, because clearly right now you're crushing these milestones. And, you know, you spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, the smiling kids on the social media, but you, know, you mentioned their Mayo Clinic and getting into like, you know, big sports franchises, you know, as you reflect back, like what are some of the biggest success stories that you'd like to share? So, and I'll, I'll tell you, say this one, this one is a personal one that really, I mean, I get choked up just thinking about it, but um, I don't know if you know, but my background, my brother died of cystic fibrosis. So I spent my life growing up in children's hospital. And as an engineer, I knew that my mission was going to be to help improve the lives of patients who are suffering with uh, chronic conditions or injuries or things that I saw kids having to adapt to medical devices instead of the other way around. So I knew that it was my mission to do this. And my brother, when he passed away, um, there were so many things that he could have done that I really felt like this was what I needed to do. This was my mission. This was my calling. When this came to me and I saw these kids um, and what I could do to help them, 
uh, and adults and everybody. I was like, this is what I need to do. This is why I'm on the earth. I had all of my experiences to date in chemical engineering and software engineering and all that kind of stuff had led up to this point in my life. And so when Children's Hospital Colorado, who I had spent years in there with my brother, told me that they were going to launch their second site uh, with Active Armor on my brother's birthday, I can tell you that that made all the difference in the world. There is nothing that you can do in your life that's more meaningful than realizing what it is that you're on the earth to do and then doing it every single day. So that has been my most meaningful milestone. All of this other stuff is fun and it's great and it's scalable. I am about the mission, but I'm also about the business case because I know that in order to be scalable and help the most people, this has to make sense on the business side and for both the hospitals and the providers and our investors um, and the patients. And if, if, as long as you can make it make sense for them financially the whole way through, then it will be scalable. And that's what we're working on now. So every single time I open with a new clinic or whatever, they understand the mission and they understand they really care about their patients' quality of life. If they didn't, they would just you know continue to say, oh, put this on there and don't wash for eight weeks, bye, you know? And so the ones that are implementing it really do care about that. And they're willing to invest in changing their clinic flow process to help. Well, I'm sure like our listeners, we're, we're obviously starting to learn about your loss, but I would just like to say what, what an inspirational story that you're putting in place. And so thank you for your leadership on this. And it's so inspiring to hear about that and, and all you're doing in this area. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, my goodness. Um, that really is a beautiful story. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious too, I want to kind of um, come back to the making two of these, these casts. And I'm, you know, I'm curious, how, how many so far then to date, have you been able to, you know, how many pe- patients have been treated, I guess, with your cast? Um, sure. Yeah. We've done over a million dollars in sales with the old model where you scan and fabricate and then it ships to you. Um, and so we fit thousands of patients. We have hundreds of providers, uh, and we are now in 11 countries providing the design services. So as we shift to this new model, we'll be able to scale faster and better because they're printing on site in a couple of hours, right? So they'll be able to use it more often as a standard of care, instead of waiting a couple of days for something to ship to them. So this transition to this software model is allowing us to scale the company. And so, and we're able to you know, continue to expand into more countries. It's so easy because they can use any printer that they have, right? And um, and as the technology changes, it'll come out faster and easier with more materials. We're constantly partnering with other companies that have resin printers and have, um, you know, uh, the HP um, Fusion Jet printers and all of that. So you can use different materials. You can print them in nylon and let them be flexible and use them for other things. Um, and so it's really cool how cross-compatible these designs are and, and um, our process that it's taken us so long to develop is and how scalable it is. That, and that's fantastic. I think, Richard, you know, something that we were curious about too um, are the different potential expanded applications, right? Where your mm-hmm. technology could be leverage Diana I'm just curious you know um is there are there applications beyond bone fractures yes and so uh many right so I wear mine for carpal tunnel personally because I don't want to have surgery and I 
it's so funny. I tell people, cause I do CAD and I tell people all the time, yeah, I got carpal tunnel from making carpal tunnel devices, which is sort of true. Um, but you can wear them for immobilization for anything, but you can also wear them as protective gear. Now we work with the NFL and they do a lot of, uh, custom fit protective gear. So, you know, rib guards, um, AC repairs, um, uh, you know, uh, shin guards, uh, forearms, wrists, thumbs, knees, whatever. So we do a lot of sport protective gear as well. Um, we also do some veterinary applications, which is really fun. Um, and you can see some of those on our website. We're not focused in that space right now. We're focused on the real key demographic that I'm really looking at right now is shark foot and diabetics. Uh, diabetics uh, with the offloading walking boots is a game changer. There are research studies coming out all over that say that you know, custom offloaded walking boots for diabetics will reduce amputation rates and mortality rates uh, for these patients. And these are custom fitted to what if they've had toe amputations or if they have um, an ulcer or whatever, these are custom fitted for every single patient, whatever they have going on down there. And this is the only cast where they can get in and out of the shower with it. They can observe and treat their skin with topicals that they need to because a lot of them have neuropathy and they can't feel anything. So they need protection down there as they're walking and they need it to offload on those ulcers so that they can heal. Uh, and so that, that wound care space, I did not realize was such a big deal until I started making these and the podiatrist would come out and say, oh my gosh, I have a patient that really needs this. And they are able to fabricate walking boots, custom offloading walking boots right there. I don't know if you can see this, right there in their shop. Uh, for a in a in overnight uh, for a couple hundred dollars when normally a custom uh, offloading pro boot will cost thousands of dollars and take them weeks which a lot of people can't afford or the standard of care is total contact cast where they will cast these patients and then saw it off and reapply it every couple of days or twice a week for months and so that this is could really be a game changer in that space and that's where I'm also looking at is the wound care space. This is so exciting to hear about. I mean, there's just so many opportunities ahead for you. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to see where this can go in the future, but I'm sure none of this happens alone. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit now about the team you've developed and how you found that process of finding the right people around you. Yes, um, honestly, the me, so I had an intern uh, that worked for me when I started the company and I hired him on full time after he got his mechanical engineering degree. He's my uh, CAD, lead CAD designer. Uh, he's been great, hung with me through the ups and the downs of this business. Uh, and um, I, it's really exciting because I have a 19 year old daughter who's actually working for me full time and she's great too because she's grown up with 3D printers and that whole thing. So it's really nice to have her kind of helping me out. She's taking um, some time off before she decides what she wants to be when she grows up. So I was like, great, come work for me in the meantime. So that's great. But the team that I developed, the leadership team have all been um, in the industry because I'm an engineer. I don't know the medical size. I don't know orthopedics. I don't know uh, scaling a big business startup, none of that stuff. So I have, um, my team is awesome. Um, I have an IP expert who's actually a former NFL player who is now um, he, he has, uh, argued in court at the, uh, in, at the, um, top levels of government. So he knows exactly how to secure the IP. He helped me write my patent. He's amazing. Um, and then we have, uh, Dr. Kevin Kaplan, the team doctor for the Jacksonville Jaguars is on my advisory board. 
Um, we have uh, doc Dr. Gloria Beam, uh, team Olympic doctor, you know, orthopedic surgeon, amazing. She uses it in her clinic as well. Um, these people not only invest in the company, but they put their sweat equity in there and they give us guidance and feedback and support. Um, so we have orthopedics, we have IP, we have technology, we have the top uh, material science uh, folks contributing. Oh, and also the founder of Exos. Uh, so, you know, um, who is owned by DJO or Innovus or whatever is on my advisory board also. Uh, and so I love to learn from, oh, and one of the, um, the direct sales uh, folks for um, 3D Systems who tried to develop a 3D printed splint years ago and, and failed also on my advisory board. So I love having these people who have had the experiences in sales and marketing and um technology and orthopedics and innovation and IP, all of them providing me support and they believe in the mission. So I don't have to, you know, have them all as C levels and pay them big salaries and all that kind of stuff. They are just helping because they believe in it. And that's awesome to me as an entrepreneur that makes me believe in it even more, you know, um, that it's going to work. And when they believe in it and they invest in it, not only their time, but their money, it just means everything uh, to me and gives me the motivation that I need and the support that I need to make this a viable product. Yeah, yeah that is so important, that alignment piece and finding the right people around you who actually believe in your mission. Yep. Yeah, that's and probably the most important part. <laughs> yeah, you it's know? easy to find people with this product. They get it, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, especially where they come from, you know, to, you, the coming from s sports backgrounds, you know, where this is near and dear and, um, you know, other folks that have worked in the 3D printing industry who see the future and the opportunity here, you're bringing all of them together uh, yeah. for that one mission. And uh, it's fantastic. So um, it, takes, it takes a village, right? Because hmm. there are so many aspects of running a startup company. Hmm. And when I was a chemical engineer, I would do what I knew how to do. And I was in my cubby when I'd worked for these Fortune 500 companies, right? But you're not like that when you're an entrepreneur. You have to know accounting. You have to know, you know, marketing, sales, you know, IP, all of that stuff. So all that stuff you have to learn. Fundraising, ugh. you have to do all of that stuff and be good at it, you know, or you're not successful. If any one of them drop, you're gone. So that's why it's so great to have a team. And as you kind of reflect on your experiences from when you started Active Armor to today, you know, and then you had to pick maybe a top three or five tips, you know, of some of the things you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with the audience um, who might be wanting to develop an innovative medical technology. You know, what would that be? I would say definitely reach out to the experts and ask them for help because they will. LinkedIn is a treasure trove. I have found people, I'm like, I don't know about whatever. And so I go and I look at the top, like, for example, wound care. I was like, wow, people are saying they want this. I don't know anything about it. So I reached out to the top doctors, David Armstrong, et cetera. And I, I just sent him a message on LinkedIn. And I'm like, hey, I know you don't know me. I have this new product. Would you please give me just two minutes of your time? I would be forever grateful if you would just take a look at this. And here's a question that I have. And don't waste their time, you know, just say like, Here's what I'm asking. Ask them for something specific. Um, and then they will give you more than you ask for. They, you know, they really do want to help, especially if they see that you're that you are in a space for a reason. So just ask. Like, and that's the same thing about investment or whatever. You have to ask. And so I seek them out and I find them and I ask them. That's been what's given me that boost. 
um, all the way to get to this point. Uh, and then don't be afraid to do what you have to do. So there have been times where I've had a lot of staff and, you know, we've scaled up and done something and gone down a pathway. And then we're like, oops, you know, and then we're like, oh, and then we find out new information and we pivot. And then sometimes I have to scale down the staff and I don't like doing that. It's like the worst. Right. But when you have to, you have to expand and contract and you have to just be honest with people and just be like, hey, here's what we're going to try to do. And we don't know how it's going to turn out, but are you with me to try it? And they've been great. Like, you know, like people get it. They, they know you're trying their, your best and um, they want to support you. And so don't be afraid to make the tough decisions when it comes down to it. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to end up cash poor and that's what we all do. Right. And then you have to spend a lot of time on fundraising and all that kind of stuff. And then you're like, Oh, I wasted a lot of time doing this or that. I mean, when COVID hit, we had to pivot. We started making uh, respirator masks to stay alive, you know? So if you have to do that, do it, you know, um, do what you have to do and don't feel bad about it. It's a means to an end. And if you make mistakes and I have, you know, if you're like, Hey, I tried this thing and it didn't work. So we put, don't think of that as a negative. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. The faster you can make a mistake and learn from it and pivot, the faster you move. That's such great advice. And I think for any listeners, there's so much to take away from this episode. I wonder now, before we wrap up, if you could think about five years ahead, like what would that vision be? Where would you like to see Active Armor in five years time? Right. Well, my company is positioned for sale. So uh, we are just scaling up right now so that our valuation is good enough. And so that they, we prove enough um, demand for the product that this active armor product can sell and that way um, it can scale higher and faster than I can scale it myself. I want to prove that um, this can become the standard of care, not only in the United States, but across the world where they really need it. So we are positioning for sale. I'm hoping in the next three to five years, but you know, you never know. They don't I don't want to jinx any other pandemics or anything else coming down the pipe, but we will do what we have to. And as long as it takes, the sooner we can sell, the better. Um, but I want to make sure that I do the best by the patients and my shareholders. I'm not trying to dump this thing and run. It's not like that. We want to make sure we have the best valuation and the competitive environment. We've been talking to potential acquirers since the beginning. So we're specifically targeting what they've asked for. We know what they want. They want to see market penetration in this space with this product line. And then we are focused on um, selling this part of the business and being able to then um, work on some of the other projects that we are so good at because we are great at R&D on, like I was talking about, veterinary, sports protective gear, body armor for small curvy women like myself, things like that. So there are so many things that we can do with this exoskeleton product development that we just really need to get the medical devices out there and available to people as quickly as possible. Well, Kyle, this is amazing. I mean, there's a great product here, a clear vision. I'm super excited because there's so many opportunities. Oh, no doubt. Especially, I mean, as a former athlete, you know, someone who's definitely broken a few bones, hmm. um, even as of recent back in January in a men's league hockey game, you know, and thinking about the big boot and cast, you know, um, that you have to wear and the time and, and, to, and the, that it takes to get this and, and the, un, how uncomfortable it is and how it limits you to so much. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely uh, an exciting future, I think there. And I just love also, 
you know, your expanded opportunities for use, you know? Um, and I love, again, that tie back to sports um, as pr maybe protective gear. I know that a lot of protective gear that I wore even in lacrosse, it would kind of flop all yeah. over the place, right? Constantly have to slide my elbow pads up or, you know, when I played football growing up and I was a running back and I'd get hit in the arms and I could hardly hold the pencil at school the next day and make a fist, you know? It's like, yeah. imagine having something there to protect you, right? So it's just so, so fun to hear your story, hear what you're doing today and uh, where you're going in the future. Um, so uh, that's fantastic. I guess, um, how do people get in touch with you um, for, you know, whatever reason? Yeah, so just uh, activearmor.com, see everything that you need there. Um, and if you follow us on social media, it's just uh, activearmor, there's no E in active. So it's A-C-T-I-V-A-R-M-O-R, -R, all one word. Um, just look for us on any social media platform or wherever you can, you can't miss us. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're you can see what we're doing. I wanted to tell you one funny sports story since you just talked about you being an athlete and all that. Um, I don't know anything about sports because I'm an engineer. That's why I have to have that team of sports professionals and because they really get it. They want to ice bath with it. They want to use a bone stem. They want to do all those things. So they really get it and they're motivated to do it. Um, so when Dr. Kevin Kaplan, the team doctor for the Jaguars called me, he said, hi, I'm the team doctor for the Jaguars. And I said, great, what's that? And he said, football and I was like oh okay you know like I don't even it's so funny so when I contract with all of these NFL teams and stuff like that I have no idea you know and I'll go and fit players and they'll be like oh my gosh who did you see and I'll be like um big guy looks like he's about 22 you know I don't know and and they'll be like I can't believe you did, you weren't floored when you saw whoever and I was like <laughs> no I seem like a nice kid I don't know you know so um, but yeah, it's really, that's really why you need the team, right? Because we all have our areas of expertise and sports ain't mine. So um, they tell me like, Hey, I want something really crazy. And I'm like, why, why would you want that? You know, I want to cut really low in the palm so I can handle the stick for, or in hockey or something like that. And I'm like, all right, whatever you want, man. You know? <laughs> so cool. So yeah. cool. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Diana, this was wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for coming on our show today and sharing your story. We really are so appreciative. And I think this world is gonna enjoy learning more about uh, your products and technology. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, thanks for having me on. Thank you, Dana. All right, wonderful. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we also appreciate you guys tuning in as always for another episode of the MedTech Impact Podcast. So with that said, I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikkeljohn. And until next time, keep innovating. <laughs>